You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. But today, if you have your copy of Scripture, will you stand with me as we stand on the solid rock that is God's holy word? Isn't it awesome that every Sunday we stand on his word We have his word as our foundation, and this is one of those foundational passages as it relates to our salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, hear it out, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then we're going to skip down to verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? All right. Rich has got his phone, so now we're good to go. All right. (laughs) All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this time we've had together and for Pastor Rich leading us to just dig a little deeper today. We want to dig a little deeper, Lord, because we want to uncover some beautiful truths. We want to understand the glory of salvation that we can experience and that we can share. Help us, Lord, to have that kind of day today where we are just floored by your word. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts, I pray, and I pray this. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. In your minds, I go with me back in time a little bit to a dusty road seven miles outside of Jerusalem. Two guys are walking along and telling the story of their last few days together. In Jerusalem, some crazy things had been happening. In fact, the world had turned upside down as the Roman authorities had nailed a guy to a cross, a guy by the name of Jesus. These two men, though, had heard some stories. They had heard some uh, realities that some things had happened, that there were some sightings of Jesus, which made no sense because he was supposedly nailed to a cross. But the more they talked about it, they realized something was up. Well, about that time, another guy kind of walks up beside them and hears them talking about what's going on and begins to explain in a little more detail his angle on the situation. As they listened to this guy talk, they realized this guy knew what he was talking about. In fact, uh, a little bit later, they said, as he was speaking, did you notice how our hearts burned within us? And the reason why they, they had that thought later is because when they got to where they were going, they decided to have a little bit of dinner, and then all of a sudden, the bread was broke, and their eyes were opened, and who did they see? Jesus had been walking with them all along. Now, here's the thing. I believe that Jesus has been walking with many of you for a long time. But I do think that it's very possible that it's been a while since you've had heartburn. Now, I'm not talking about that breakfast burrito that you should not have had for breakfast. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual heartburn. When was the last time that you in your private devotion or you in your worship life heard the word of God and there was just something on fire inside of you? It's probably been a while for many of you. It's probably been a while because the world is always throwing cold water on your heart, always trying to freeze you out. But today I want you to have a heart that gets warmed up 
I want you to realize how good it is to follow Jesus and how much Jesus loves you because when we really understand how much Jesus loves us, then we can speak Jesus from the heart. And when we speak Jesus from the heart, the world changes. As we look at this passage of scripture, we see that the primary way that God does speak to us is to our hearts. Now, that's an interesting way to think about it, isn't it? To think about being spoken to, not through the ears or into the mind, but into the heart. But let me tell you, the hard things that the scripture has to say to us, our minds can find a lot of reasons for not doing them. But when we receive these truths in the heart, that's when we will obey. I was looking at the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 5. There's a, there's a word there about discipline, but it says that the only way that we are going to receive the discipline of the Lord is, is in the heart. There's something to this. The Bible is telling us that it is our heart that matters to God. And God is speaking to us and wanting to change our hearts. We come into worship many times, and we do. There's nothing wrong with this. It's a very human thing to do. We come into worship, and we, we bring our minds. Our minds are on. If we've had a few cups of coffee, and we're awake, we're thinking, and we're following along, and we're saying, okay, Lord, teach me something new today. Show me something that I can use in my life. All that's wonderful. But I want to say to you, as much as I want to see you learn something today, I really want to see God change your heart. I want the word of God to ignite something in you that maybe has been ignited before. It's just smoldered out. It's sort of gone out over time. If you're not familiar with this feeling at all, I just want to say it is possible if you've never had a heart on fire for God that you need to listen in another way today because this passage is one of the clearest expressions of what it means to follow Jesus and to be saved. I see two very clear things God is saying to us. First and foremost, we need Jesus in our hearts. We need to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. That's the main part of this text. But I also believe that this text is encouraging us as a congregation to speak Jesus from the heart. If we say Jesus has saved our hearts, then our mouths ought to prove it. Our lives ought to exhibit that reality. And I'm praying today that will happen. Your heart speaks a language your mind will never fully comprehend. And that's okay. It is okay to not understand all the things of God, first and foremost, because you ain't God. He is mystery. He is bigger than you and me. But I'll tell you this. You don't have to be a genius to know when you're being loved. And I want you to know this. The love of Jesus flows through the scriptures, not just today, but every day. You know, sometimes things get lost in translation. In our home, we're, we're learning that. Uh, we, we have a non-English speaker in our home, and so that's an interesting world to, to be in. Uh, it's kind of funny when you're trying to communicate and you're trying to, to get language to, to pass away. You do things like this. You'll slow down and start using like facial expressions. And guess what? That doesn't help at all. <laughs> it's hilarious because I'm doing it all the time, but now when we're walking and we meet, we meet somebody and they, they, they'll start talking to us and everything, they'll start doing that. You get louder and, and you start like really rounding off your, your syllables, which for people from the South, that is just murder on your heart. And it's just funny because you're just trying to get across and you say all those things and the person who speaks the other language goes like this. And that's the universal sign for, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> now, when it comes to the communication, the 18-inch distance between the head and the heart, this kind of miscommunication is happening inside of you all of the time. All of the time, God is trying to really grab a hold of your heart, and you're just not getting it. 
You're just not allowing God to do what only he can do. Now, the reason why, it's not God's fault. It's, it's yours. Uh, imagine that. It, it's on you. It's definitely on you. The reason why our hearts are not receptive to the amazing and beautiful things that God has to say to us is because, again, we're just not familiar with the language. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, is built on a passage from Deuteronomy 30. Let me show it to you on the screen, okay? If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. I'm going to read it to you, verses 11 through 14, because this is what Paul is preaching. Remember, he's, he's a preacher too. He's preaching from an Old Testament text here. Deuteronomy 30, 11 says this, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. And I think that's intellectual. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But notice this, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Hear me out today. When we are talking about the word of God, it is near to you. I traveled in South Asia some this, this year and uh, was around uh, the cultural context of, of Hinduism. And of course, uh, um, in the modern world today, Hinduism has some attraction in our culture because it's, it's supposedly very pluralistic. It's kind of open to everything. So the classic thing that you kind of hear when you're in the Far East is, is that every approach to God is okay. That, that if you're climbing a mountain, and I've climbed a few uh, out, in, out west in the United States, I've and when I was in South Asia, I tried to climb a few things, and it didn't go too well, but nonetheless, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it's hard work, but you can take different trails. I remember one time I was going up this one trail that I knew pretty well, had my daughter with me, and I got off the, the, the beaten path, and uh, we almost made it, but we didn't because I must have taken the long way around. There was a different way. Now, in the, in the Asian cultures, they'll say, well, we can all climb the mountain a different way and get to the top, but here's the deal. Why would you go through all the trouble if God came down to you? You see, Christianity is, is telling us something different. Paul is picking up on this. This is an Old Testament idea as well. God has always said, listen, you don't have the strength to come up to me, but I'll come down to you. And that's ultimately what Jesus did. We have a word from the Lord, which is the Bible, but we have the logos of God, which is Jesus. We have the word spoken, and we have the word lived out. He came near, and he came near because you need him in your heart. This is as near as it gets. You need Jesus in your heart. You can know of Jesus here, but the relationship with Jesus is right here. We have to start speaking the heart language of the gospel. We need to start realizing that if our heart ain't burning, it may not be on fire. If we're not feeling the heat, then that coldness may be pointing us to something that is really, really devastatingly bad. A heart problem, not that the doctors can fix, but only that Jesus, the great physician, can fix. We need to ask ourselves, what is the status of our hearts? Have we given Jesus complete ownership of our hearts? And if we're not speaking Jesus from the heart, let me tell you what that means. That means we are not. We are not giving our hearts fully to Jesus I'm praying that Paul in Romans 10 can help us mind the gap between our minds and our hearts today so that we may know Jesus and that we may speak Jesus. And it all begins in your heart. Salvation, as it relates to you, begins in your heart. 
Uh, we use that language uh, from the time our kids are little, even in big church, which is what you're in right now. Little church to big church. We use the same language. Do you have Jesus in your heart? Amen? Isn't that the language we use? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Now, that's a, a perfectly good expression because that's how we think about it. Is Jesus coming into our hearts? But let's pull back or go up to the 30,000-foot perspective for just a moment. And I want you to realize that on a larger scale, salvation begins with the incarnation of Jesus. You see, salvation is not possible unless it came down. Remember the mountain illustration? We're not trying to climb up to some place where God is, but we are trusting that God came down to where we are. And ultimately, what we have is the story of Jesus. The Gospels tell us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the incarnation. It is as simple as that. If you notice in our text, verse 9, it sort of begins with an unusual word. We usually don't begin a sentence with the word because. Well, here it's because it's not the beginning of a sentence. It really is a continuation of the conversation that Paul is having with the Romans as it relates to Deuteronomy chapter 31. It's all about God coming near. And we know that we can confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we are told in this verse 9, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why? Well, because God came near. He's right here. He's right here today. How many of you husbands and wives have had this happen? You're busy in your house and you're moving around, you're moving really quick and everything and you don't know where everybody is in the house. And so you find yourself, you're needing something and you're focused on something and you go, hey Jenny! She goes, I'm right here. <laughs> oh, there you are. Jenny's little and she's sneaky, so this happens to me a lot. <laughs> I thought you were in the other room. No, you're right there. You know, like... You want to put the fear of God in me, Jenny's the person. But anyway, um, I don't have to yell. You know, it's like, you don't have to yell, I'm right here. Well, I yelled because I didn't think you were right here. And I think that many of us in our prayers are yelling out to God, and he's saying, hey, wait a second, I'm right here. I'm right here with you. I came down 2,000 years ago to die for your sins, but I left behind the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God is with you. In the good days and in the bad days, you don't have to yell for Jesus like I'm doing right now because he's right here. He is with you. I love this passage. It is telling us, listen, even though you're hurting, friend, even though you're struggling, even if you're happy, you don't have to yell because Jesus is with you. And God wants you to be with him. He wants to be your father and you his child. He wants you to be a part of the kingdom so much that he sent Jesus to this earth and he sent the spirit to keep us going. Our hearts fail in terms of righteousness. We know that. Romans 3, if you go back that far, seven chapters, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks God. That is true in the flesh. But I want you to know, if you are a professing Christian, that is no longer true for you. You will seek God because Christ is in you, and Christ in you is always seeking God. The flesh will not seek God, but if you are in Christ, you will seek God because you are in Christ. In Christ, with Christ. Paul uses those two prepositional phrases all the time. Why? Because we need to remember that we are in the presence of God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. 
our hearts need to remember that. Our minds forget it, but our hearts need to always remember it. Only faith can justify us. Look at that passage in verse 9. It says that, that you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. That We'll come back to that, but it's with the heart one believes and is justified. It's, it's not an issue of how smart you are. It's an issue of how much you've allowed Jesus to transform your heart. Christianity has an intellectual component, but hear me out. I don't believe. I, I, I do study. I, I want to give you a good sermon every Sunday, but I want you to know academics ain't going to save you. It's not going to happen that way. What saves us is the Spirit of God gripping our hearts, changing us and transforming us to the point where we say to Jesus, I believe that your cross has saved me. If you look carefully here at verse 9, we are told that, that it is only when God speaks to our hearts that we can believe that Jesus died and rose again. The heart of the gospel is the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins and then his defeat of our sins in resurrection life. That's what we're going to share 8,400 times is the fact that we believe that the cross is what eliminates the impact of sin and it is the resurrection that gives us the hope of eternal life. That's what we have to get in our heart. The heart has vision in the sense that the mind cannot comprehend. I'm calling it resurrection vision. The power of Jesus' resurrection is so great that it can make alive every human heart. Look at verse 10, 11, 12, 13. Every human heart, God's power to save has no limits. God loves every person in this room, and he wants every single one of you to have a heart transformed by Jesus. Now, again, people in this room, many of you, now hear me out, I'm not trying to be ugly, but many of you know of God, but you do not know God in a relational way. You have understanding of of what the Bible says and all of that. But as far as your heart burning for righteousness, your heart being transformed by the gospel, you're not there yet. Only the mysterious and powerful work of God through the resurrection can make this happen. Let me show you something that's interesting in this mind-heart dynamic. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. Let's take a look at this. Once again, it's on the screen. If you want to have it in your Bible, that's great too. Listen to what Paul says. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Now notice that, blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Isn't that interesting that Satan blinds the mind, but it is God who enlightens the heart? 
You see, the devil, he likes to play in here. But I, I, just hear me out here. Even though this is the devil's playground, this is where Jesus works. And if you will let him, he will keep the enemy out of here. And you will be able to say, Jesus is Lord. So here's my advice to you and to myself as well. Rest your mind and open your heart. The word of God has mystery. We can spend our lives digging in and digging deeper. That's fine. But for a moment this morning, will you rest your mind long enough that you may confess with your mouth? That's our second point. We must confess with our mouths. The mystery of our hearts is deeper than I can unpack this morning in just a few minutes. But when God is at work in your heart, eventually it comes out of your mouth. Confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Verse 9, verse 10, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. True faith of the heart always makes its way to the mouth in confession. Now, Rich can tell you, and anybody that's done worship can tell you, that confession is a technical term and a part of uh, high worship. We will have, when we're doing worship, a little bit more high church, which here in the Ozarks isn't very much, but every once in a while we go high church. When we do, you'll have a time of confession. It can be a technical term. I do not believe that Paul, at this point in Christian history, is using it in a technical sense. He is using it in a very practical way. When Paul says that we need to confess with our mouths here in Romans 10, 9 and 10, here's what he is saying. I love this definition by Harrison. Confession is saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. Now, I want you to do this. Let's do a little exercise. Not now, sometime today, or in the days to come. Listen to your heart a little more carefully. I told you that the language is hard to understand, but it's not impossible. Listen to your heart, and in your weaker moments, you try to justify your sins, excuse them, pretend that they're not all that serious. You see, that's not real confession. Confession isn't trying to tell God, God, I know I've got sin, but it's not that big a deal because all he has to do is show you the nail scars in his hands and feet. Your sin is a big deal. When your heart is right, you will call out your own sin just as Jesus would if he were in your presence. Such belief invites the cross into the center of your heart, thereby giving you justification, verse 10 tells us. Hear me out. Confession, when we say confess with our mouths, what we mean by that is, what I think Paul is getting at here is that we are going to admit that our sins separate us from God. We don't try to water that down. We don't try to backpedal. We are honest about our sins. How can we be saved? We are saved when the Holy Spirit convinces us that we are sinners. The only solution is the cross of Jesus Christ, and we call out our own sin. We live in a world where all manner of sin is excused. Now, now, don't take this. This is just, if I use an example and it hits home for you, just understand, I don't, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but, you know, for instance, um, we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, right? Isn't that a Bible verse in Hebrews? But look at how we will continually put everything in our lives in front of church our culture, our Christian culture today is looking at worship as a negotiable. But that's a non-negotiable according to the text. Now, let me just say this. When you are constantly, and I'm just using this because it's an easy, this is low-hanging fruit. 
Um, and when I am constantly saying, I know I should be more consistent in my worship life, but there's these other things that are priorities too. The minute you said, but, is you not owning the fact that your heart is going a different direction than God's word would have you go. That's just a fact. That's a mild example. We could go darker if you want when it comes to sexual sin and other things. We, we, would, we would say, perhaps, if we're being hard on our family, well, I deserve this because I work hard. I, men will say those kinds of things. I mean, whatever we do, when we are not allowing sin to be called out as Jesus would call it out, that is not confession. But when we give an honest confession, we are speaking Jesus from the heart. If your heart is burning, for instance, if the word of God is speaking to you and you are convicted, let it burn. Let it burn. Don't try to put out that fire. Listen, if I'm giving you a guilt trip and I don't have Bible, that's not fair for me to do. That is not my job. I am not here to give you a guilt trip, but I am here to make you sorry unto God if you are sinning. Because that's what preaching should do. Preaching isn't about me or you in particular. It's about what Jesus says through his word. And if we will hear the word of God, and if we feel the burning fires of conviction, let the spirit breathe on that fire. And let it burn down the sin that you may live again unto Christ. Douglas Moo, one of the greatest New Testament professors, he's up in Chicago, and he also has one of the most unfortunate last names says, confession is the outward manifestation of this critical inner response we term belief. So when our mouths are confessing, what that is is the proper outward manifestation of the inward change. That's what Douglas is saying. He's saying when our hearts are changed, then the confession is, is going to be changed. Our speech is changed. And ultimately, it is this simple. Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouths that Jesus is Lord, you want to know what it takes to be saved? Say those three words and mean it. Jesus is Lord. It is the oldest and surest confession of faith in the Bible. Jesus is Lord. Intellectually, those three words are simple. Spiritually, those are the most profound three words in any one sentence in all of the universe. And only people whose hearts are changed by Jesus can say that and mean it. I've been off Facebook for a few, about a month now. I, w I wish I could tell you it's made, made life better for me. Um, and it has in some ways, but uh, you know, the devil always has a way to get you down. But in Facebook, there's one of those things I've noticed that uh, when, uh, when people, uh, especially younger folks, when they get a new boyfriend or girlfriend, there'll be a status change, right? In a relationship with. In a relationship with. I look out and I see people who... I, I don't know. Do, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Can you post that? Could you, could you today maybe change, um, change that on your profile? Friends, the world needs to know that you have Jesus in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34. And if we are never speaking Jesus, what does that say about our hearts?
When I say speaking Jesus from the heart, that's what I'm getting at. If we are not speaking Jesus, if the word never ignites our hearts, what is wrong with our hearts? Finally, everyone who speaks Jesus from the heart will be saved. I can't say this enough. I can't repeat it too many times. Salvation is of the Lord, but it is simple. The door of salvation has been thrown open by Jesus. Do you realize that? Now, the Old Testament saints had a way to be saved by looking forward to Jesus, but they had to trust in the promises. But the door was thrown open when Jesus rose from the grave. And so every generation for the last 2,000 years has had a clear picture of what God has done through Jesus. It is clear that Jesus is the Son of God, and it is clear that those who believe in him will be saved. Everyone who speaks Jesus from the heart will be saved. Let me read to you verses 11 and following. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And again, he repeats, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the Bible. That's the truth. The key word is call on. If God is changing your heart, you will be able to proclaim Jesus as your Savior. It only takes a whisper, a whimper, but if it comes from your heart, Jesus draws near. Everyone, again, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The world is yelling louder and louder. But if you will but whisper to Jesus, I believe you with all my heart, you will be saved. Claim this promise today. Claim it. A simple witness is what the world needs. The world desperately needs to hear you speaking Jesus from the heart. This is how we change the world. I want to read to you verses 14 through 17 very quickly. Listen to this. Paul continues after our text. He says, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have all not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We treasure all souls. And we are challenging this church in a period of about 15 months to share the gospel 8,400 times. Only people who have had a heart changed by Jesus will speak Jesus to others. So let me just say, if you can't fathom sharing Jesus with your mouth, you need to ask, is Jesus in your heart? If you can't fathom being a witness, what does that say about the status of your soul? We need to start asking ourselves these hard questions. Let me ask again, when was the last time the scriptures, whether in a sermon or in a quiet time, burned in your heart? When was the last time? I'm here to tell you, when you are in Christ, everything else in your life can be growing cold, but the word will always warm you up. It will always have a word. My son spoke a word to me uh, earlier this week, 
You know, it's kind of interesting when your kids get old enough to start preaching to you. And this morning, as I'm, as I'm getting ready and, and, and changing things around and getting, getting my heart ready to preach to you, I look up at my calendar and my verse for the day was the verse that my son quoted to me on Thursday. Now, you can say that's coincidence, but I'm going to tell you, that just means that God's at work. That he's speaking to me, that he's lifting me up in ways I could never fathom. God's word is powerful. All the other words in the world have use and value in certain contexts. But I'm here to tell you the word of God is never late, it never falls short, and it always brings us closer to God. And many of us here today need to be closer to God. We've been cold in our hearts too long. We need more of Jesus, more of Jesus, and less of us. More of Jesus must be our cry. May God set your heart on fire. May he save you from your sins. In the second great awakening, the preachers of that era were well known for preaching sermons about hell. One story was told about the preacher talking about hell and there was a chimney fire in a house next to the church and that chimney fire caused the sparkle of light that only that you know, the flicker that can only be flame, to hit the windows and refract on the congregation. And people began to cry out. When it was made clear that it was just a chimney on fire next door that was soon extinguished, you would think that the cries unto God would have stopped. But everybody in the room that day in New England realized that God was getting their attention. That the flames that they saw flickering throughout the congregation pointed to the reality that when we don't cry out to Jesus with our hearts, when we do not have Jesus in our hearts, there is eternal punishment coming. We don't talk much about that in the modern church. People are, you know, many times they want to go to heaven, that's, that's a positive thing, but they're not even thinking about eternal punishment. It's just like it's not even there anymore. Let me say, I'm not trying to scare you down front. But if your heart has not been warmed by the gospel, those fires bring another kind of warmth that's not warm. The heat of your sin is great. And many of you haven't confessed your sins in a long time. This hot and cold dynamic is crazy, but I'm telling you, if you haven't confessed your sins in a long time, that makes your heart cold, but it could mean that the fires are from another place as well. Hot and cold. Where are you? Where is your heart? As we begin to talk about the need to share the gospel, I'm telling you, I have never seen spiritual warfare like this. Why? Because we are asking God to give us 8,400 gospel conversations and the devil don't like it none. And I'm telling you that the, the fire is real. The persecution is real. The, the heartache that you feel is real. But listen, if there is nothing going on inside of you, no desire, like I say 8,400 and all you do is scoff and walk out, Listen, friend, scoff at me all you want. My dreams and plans don't mean anything. But when you have no desire in your heart to share Jesus, don't tell me about my issues. There's something wrong in us if we believe in a place called heaven and a place called hell, but we won't say anything about it to those who are lost. I'm saying this because I know you can speak Jesus from your heart. 
The world doesn't need eloquence. It just needs the simple gospel. For if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.